If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one. If you have one, if you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes, about in the middle of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And want to wholeheartedly recommend that you jump in, if you haven't jumped in, to our Tijuana mission trip. We're blown away by how many people are coming with us. But man, this is something for the whole family And if you weren't able to come for some reason to the training day yesterday, which was just a blast, make sure you join us at the office this coming week, 1.30 to 5.30. It is going to be an awesome time. We've been in a series called Extreme Life Makeover, and we've been talking about your life being transformed from head to toe. And we're coming closer to the end of our series, but let's just look at our Extreme Life Makeover model here, and we'll see what we've covered so far. Do we have that picture? So here is Sam Hernandez being transformed as we speak. We started with a mind makeover. We went down and talked about an eye makeover. Then we talked about chatty Kathy and the need for a mouth makeover. Last week, we talked about the, the need to cast off our anxieties and our cares upon the Lord and a shoulder makeover. This week, we are going to the heart, as you saw with follow your heart, Felicia. And I was thinking about how much the world has discipled us in this phrase, follow your heart. Real common phrase. I think that no one's done a better job in teaching us to follow our heart than Walt Disney. I I have to tell you, I was addicted to the Disney channel growing up. And through that, I learned that in the end, if you just follow your heart, everything's going to be okay. I remember seeing this movie. Uh, Let me sing a a little part of it to you and see if you get it. I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you less let your heart decide? That's Aladdin, right? I, um, I learned from Aladdin that we need to let our heart decide. And and if you do, you will find a magic carpet ride that will take you to paradise. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. You, You learn to follow the wants of your heart from from Disney, right? How about this? Wish I could be part of your... You got it, guys. Now, now here's something. Some, some of you are like, like I'm, I'm a little older than those movies, but, but you all heard this. You, you heard this song many times. Let me just read to you this powerful prophetic statement that gu- guided many of us through our childhood. When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Now listen to the second verse. It's even more powerful. Some of you don't, aren't as familiar. It says, if your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do. Profound. <laughs> now, I want to tell you that, I, unfortunately, I took this stuff hook, line, and sinker. And, and, and so as all good Americans, I tried to follow my heart. I, I jumped in as I was becoming a teenager and a young adult, and, and I just chased 
after my heart. And I, I want to tell you, my heart connected me with a lot of people that I should have never been connected with. Doing a lot of things with people that I never should have done with them. And this is what I found out. I found out that scripture is really true that says this in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Encouraging word from the scripture this morning. <laughs> you know, we're taught from, from childhood, just follow your heart. Oh, Johnny, just follow your heart. But what we're not told is your heart's deceitful. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? So here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Now this is Solomon. No one had the opportunity to follow their hearts like Solomon. Solomon was the richest king who ever lived. He had the most power. He had the most opportunity. This is the, at the heyday of Israel when it was by far the most glorious nation. And he said this in verse 1. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that all proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said. It's madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. A lot, a lot of times I'll, I'll meet people and I'll ask them how I can pray for them. And they'll say, hey, just, just pray for me to have happiness. This is what Solomon was going after, right? Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the light of a man's heart. Shame on you, Solomon. I... I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all the things my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Men and women, if we can get this, if we can latch on to the scripture that this man who chased after relationships, a man who chased after money, a man who made all kinds of accomplishments with projects that he built, a man who chased after the party scene, and at the end, he had everything. He accomplished everything, and he said it was meaningless. Every week, I've been having people come and share stories about how God has worked in their life in accordance with the part of the body we're talking about. So this week I've asked Nick Osborne to come and share with us what God has done in his heart. Let's welcome Nick Osborne as he comes on up. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, ever since I was... Uh... I was little, I'd struggled with, uh, finding an identity and purpose in my life. And, uh, I searched and searched for something to put my identity in. It wasn't until I got to high school that I had the opportunity to play football. And this was like, there was like this internal sense I had found myself with playing football. And I saw through hard work and commitment and dedication that I could be somebody. 
But despite that honor, I always had this like feeling of like emptiness inside of me, a hunger for more and more recognition, but I never seemed to get enough. I was easily influenced to even smoke marijuana and drink alcohol and even desperate enough to sell marijuana at one point to, in order to be seen as somebody. In pursuit of football, I was blessed with a full athletic scholarship to San Diego State. I loved biology and chose it as my major because I was going to be this great football player who one day would become this great doctor or biologist. I had a perfect design for my life. Even the school newspaper wrote an article about me being a football star and becoming a doctor. My heart was just really easily swayed by the pleasures of the world. I mean, I went to parties with teammates because I felt like I was missing out on, but every time I went to some party, it always spelled disaster. I struggled with pornography and temptation with women. Then my father passed away and it seemed like I had no one to guide me but myself or my own heart. It wasn't until I was invited to Athletes in Action and I actually started to attend the Bible study groups and um, that I learned about the great things God had in store for me. And I started to realize what I'd been missing out on. It was like I wasn't walking with God before and I was looking for something and I was being led by myself. And it wasn't until God just captured my heart and he wanted to lead me. And it was just such a fulfilling feeling, and I just—I had no choice. I was like, I got to give my life to Christ, and so I gave my life. And soon after, my heart was starting to change at a rapid rate, in many ways. Um, and started to change my perspective from being about all me and my about me and my life to serving in the kingdom of God. And but I still struggled with my identity and the things that I worked hard at, and the sense of pride I carried with it. I hadn't fully submitted my heart to God yet. I got the opportunity to play in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. My heart wasn't prepared to handle the tough business and political environment of the NFL, and I never felt like I belonged or was a part of a team. After months of hard work, I was cut from the team, and Satan took advantage of that moment and started to attack me in every way, and even to the point of having to be delivered from a demonic attack. I was vulnerable to these attacks since my heart rested on my own view of the world and not in my identity in Christ. For the next two years, I went to many tryouts and another training camp with the UFL, but was cut again and again and never made a team. Then the Lord started to focus on my marriage and the feelings of shame and guilt that I carried with every conflict that arose. After the struggling for the first couple of years in my marriage, um, when it came to working through conflicts, God showed me that he wanted to have a heart, have me, wanted me to have a heart that was humble and to hear his truth and love without feelings of condemnation coming over me. I then really wanted, uh, really started to open my heart and listen to God, to what God wanted for me and not what I wanted for myself. He spoke to a calling to serve the youth. And that's what I've been doing for the last four years, four years. And I love it. It's always good when you follow what God wants for you. (laughs) Last summer in the job I'd worked so hard at, I was cut from my position as a supervisor. Um, and I was devastated and I was fearful what was going to happen next. I was offered a lower level position, but I was bitter and my pride told me I shouldn't go back. I knew this was from God since I had a dream two weeks before that my boss fired me and I woke up thinking, whew, it's just a dream. (laughs) God, however, he was revealing in me the just pride and fear of rejection that was in my heart and how he wanted to completely break that in me. And he's continued to humble me and take away my insecurities. 
ever since the day I submitted my life to Christ. And God's just continually to transform my heart in all areas of my life. And I'm sure he's not going to stop there. Awesome. There you go, buddy. I love how people you're hearing it every week are willing to come and be so vulnerable. And that's, you know, when you, when you see our value, our get rock, get real, give it away. That's what they're doing is they're getting real. Hopefully if there's one thing you're learning in this church, it's not about being perfect. It's about being a real person before God. That's very authentic with where we're at, but we're saying, God, we need you to come transform us. And I think that's what you were seeing in Nick's story is it's not about following your heart. It's about training your heart to follow God. That was good. If you want to write that down, it's, it's not about following your heart. It's about training your heart to follow God. And that's what I started realizing in my life that I had made a mess of my life by always chasing after the desires of my heart. And what I realized is the desires of my heart were often deceitful. They were often very selfish, very self-centered, very self-focused. And as I submitted my life to God, I started noticing that he was calling me to do things that might have been a little painful. You see, there's this belief now that once you're following God, that it's always going to be this path of roses, this this nice little journey where he's always just going to puff your heart up. Listen to what scripture says in, in Luke 9, 23. It says this, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now that doesn't sound like just following the dreams of our heart. If anyone's to come after me, He must deny himself, right? That's not just, hey, everything my heart wants. It's actually denying yourself. It's take up your cross. What's a cross? A cross isn't just a nice little silver thing you wear on your neck. The cross is an instrument of death. It was a place of dying. And he says, and follow me. What does that mean? It means you're not following your heart. You're following someone else. That's not very easy for Americans. We're not good at following other people. But that's what Jesus was saying, that it's actually about losing your life. So many of us are struggling, like Nick said, and that's, that's my story too. I was just trying to find myself, and then finally I found it. Oh, it's football. That's me. And God's saying, no, 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 it's not football. It's not about you finding yourself. Listen to what this scripture says in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to find my life and I need to lose it. And then if I lose it, then I find it. What? Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about just you following the dreams and ambitions of your heart. When you do that, you end up with three Valentine dates. He's saying when you lose your life, when you surrender it to me then you truly find the abundant life. Now, now just in case you're starting to think, well, pastor, you're being really hard on us today. I want to balance something out for you because I see two kind of opposing views in the body of Christ, two big camps in the body of Christ. The, The first one is this. The first one, they just camp out on the dying verses. So they say, you know what? Following Jesus, it's all about death to self. 
It's all about dying. It's all about suffering. If you're really following Jesus, you're going to take a vow of poverty. You're going to wear, you know, you're never going to wear nice clothes. You're always going to wear just gray or black and, you know, don't do anything nice with your hair. You know, just the more, the more austere you can be, you're never going to eat fine clothes. You're going to walk around all morbid looking. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I love Jesus. You know, mm. <clears throat> wow. Let me have what you're having. There were whole groups that founded their faith on this. You know, they went off into the desert. You know, we can't be in pretty places. Don't talk to anyone. We're going to eat. And their whole group said, just the more you suffer, the more painful, the better. Okay. Then on the other side, which is much more popular, by the way, this other side that's responded to that, it's all about just dreaming your dreams. And it's all about prosperity and God wants to bless you. Just think big and think because we got a big God. And if you think big with our big God, he's going to bless you. And your life's just going to be awesome all the time. Just dream your dreams and then ask God to bless them. And you're going to be rich and you're going to be famous and you're going to be powerful and you're going to be awesome. I don't see either of those as being that biblical. Jesus was walking right down the middle. Okay, so over here, you know, just God's just going to bless you all the time and just think big and just have a big dream. Well, actually, scripture says that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. I don't think it was really fun to be homeless. I don't think it was fun to get his back scourged and to die a painful death on the cross. Right. On the other side, though. It wasn't just all about death and dying and suffering and pain all the time because the Bible actually says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions. That in his house is the fullness of joy. You see, Jesus was walking right down the middle. Paul, right, right down the middle, right? Paul said, I, I, I've learned what it's like to have plenty and I've learned what it's like to be in want. I've learned the secret to contentment in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so what's the correct heart posture? It's not just, oh, all the time it's just death and suffering and depression and decay and despair. And it's not just, woohoo, I'm skipping around, skipping with Jesus, right? It's a heart of obedience. What's the posture of our heart? The heart is a heart of obedience. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the wellsprings of your life. I want to tell you, your heart is powerful. Your heart is powerful, and there's nothing like your heart getting on fire for God. I just love seeing all the people down front, and they're just, you know, I'm like, I hope they don't storm the stage during worship this morning. Because they're so passionate. I love when my heart's on fire, and God loves an on fire heart for them. But I want to tell you, the same people that can be so on fire the next moment can have a really cold heart. And then what do you do? You guard your heart. You train your heart. You discipline it. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so we say sometimes our heart's just on fire. And we're just saying, you can't hold me back. I'm going to worship. And then sometimes you're like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And what do we do? Whether we're white hot on fire or whether we're down in the pit, we say, heart, you're going to be guarded and my wellsprings are going to flow to you. It's walking right down the middle. 
with God. I want to take you into a journey just for the last few minutes here of what God's done in our life. And I think it might help, help you understand what God wants to do in our hearts. We, um, I've been, I've been kind of telling you this story about how we, uh, how we were able to buy a house after five years of living here in San Diego. And here's, here's the journey that I want to tell you about. When I was, just give me a second. Years ago, I was in a service, and um, the preacher was preaching, and all of a sudden, uh, his name is Mike Bickle, and he starts going, is it hot in here? I'm getting really hot. Don, Don was the executive pastor, Don, turn on the air conditioning. I'm getting really hot up here. Then he starts going, I'm kind of feeling resisted on what I'm preaching right now. And uh, he stops the service and he starts sharing. It was Mother's Day and he starts saying, you know, I think that God wants to do something different. And he stops his sermon and he says, um, he says, God is wanting to reveal his heart of comfort like a mother to people. And the interesting thing is I was, I was uh, just graduating from college and I was in the congregation in this service. This was in Kansas City. I'd gone up for a conference. Conference was about something totally, it was about passion for Jesus. And all of a sudden he's stopping the service. But it was at the end of the conference and I was saying, God, I want to go all the way with you. I want to go, I want to completely surrender my life. But I feel like that you've let me down. And you know, you've heard me talk many times about my heart problem I had. And I said, you know, God, I felt like when I had my heart problem and I ended up in the hospital, where were you? My mom was always there, but where were you, Lord? I said, you know, I've always felt like my mom loved me more than you, God. It's really interesting. Like, have you ever heard anyone share that story? But, and Mike Bickle stops the service and says, I feel like God's telling me to stop the service because God wants to reveal to, to people in here that he loves them more than a mother. And he said, if that's you, come forward. And I just came forward and something just broke off me and I was just weeping. And I was so thankful that day for a pastor that would stop and wait for God. I have no idea what God wants to do now. I just knew that God didn't want me to share that story. So let's just pray for a minute. Lord Jesus, what do you want to do right now?
scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. And what I see is I see God's hands and he's coming to give you a gift. But what we have to do is we have to let go of the other things that we're running after. Our hearts want to deceive us. Our hearts want to say we want this. When God is saying, no, I have the perfect gift for you, my child. I have the perfect gift for you, my child. The Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And the problem is, is if you haven't spent your life delighting in the Lord, then he can't change the desires of your heart. A lot of us think if I just delight myself in the Lord enough, then he is going to meet my every desire. And what he's actually saying is, no, he's going to give you new desires. And then God wants to bless you. He wants to give you gifts. He wants to give you things that are even better than what you ever thought or imagined. But first, he wants your heart. First, he wants your heart, and then he can give you what he wants to give you. So let's just walk it through here. How do you test the desires of your heart? I've explained this before, but let me just show you this model again, because even this week, you'll probably have a desire of your heart. It will come up and you'll say, now, should I follow this? Let's just start. I have this kingdom decision-making template that I've learned from scripture. And I want to put that up. Put up the compass for me, David. How do you know when you should follow a desire of your heart? So say God puts something on your heart. Well, what you want to do is you want to say, is that just my desire or is God speaking this to me? How does God speak? God speaks through a myriad of ways. He might speak through something like you just saw me experience. You just feel this conviction of like, whoa, don't, don't go forward from there. I want to go a different direction. You might have an image come into your head. You might have a dream at the night like, like Nick had. Okay. God speaks to you and you're saying, okay, now should I go forward with this desire of my heart? You're single people. Should I date this person? Well, the first question always is, what is God saying? So you stop and you say, what is God saying? Should I take this job? Should I go into this field? Should I buy this house? You're saying first, what is God saying? Now, south on the compass, so north, we're always following the voice of God. John five nineteen. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So Jesus was only doing what the Father was revealing. But then it's got to line up with Scripture. God will never contradict his word to you. So you have this desire in your heart. You're saying, okay, now what is God speaking? So you go in prayer. And then you look for scripture. And you say, what does scripture say? Okay, does this line up with scripture? Maybe it's someone you're, you, you, you really, single people in here, I really want to date this person. But then all of a sudden you realize that this person isn't a believer. Well, what does scripture say? Well, the scripture says, don't be unequally yoked. Well, boom, there it is. No matter whether I think God's speaking that or not, God's not going to contradict his word. You following me? So it's got to line up with scripture. So that's due north and south. But then you've got these wonderful, wonderful guidelines on either side of that. 
And the third one is this. What's wise counsel saying? God's put us in community. I don't trust anyone who makes decisions outside of community. Because the scripture says that there's wisdom found in the presence of many counselors. So what does your wise counsel say? So all of a sudden you're saying, should I date this person? Should I take this job? You look and you go, okay, you know, this job isn't sinful. This job is, is something that's going to help people. But now what does my counsel say? And let me tell you this. Don't just go to the person who will give you the answer you want. You can always find a person that will give you the answer you want. You already know who's going to tell you that. So you go in the presence of many counselors is wisdom. So I go to many different people. And these are faith-filled people. These are people that are walking with Jesus. And I'll ask my friends and I'll ask my mentors. And I'll ask them, does this seem like this is from God? And I let them tell me. I don't try to sell them. I have people that call me and ask me for counsel all the time. And an hour later, they still are talking. And I'm like, you're not asking for counsel. You're trying to prove a point. Call. Explain the situation. And then let people share with you. If the community is saying opposite, don't contradict it. God speaks through community. All through the book of Acts, they made decisions as a church community. People that don't go to community, I don't trust. Because that's a spirit of pride. Well, I, I, can, I can just hear God alone. Why well, just make decisions alone? Right? There's no Lone Ranger Christians. Even Lone Ranger had Tonto. You, you need community. Now, the last one is this. It's counting the cost. Even after you've heard the voice of God, you've learned scripture, you have wise counsel. This is what the Bible says about counting the cost. This is what Jesus actually said. In Luke 14, 28, it says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he had enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundations and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. Saying this fellow began to build what was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? You see, what we've got is God will reveal something to you. That's revelation. But then we need to go to scripture and we need to go to our community for interpretation. Because a lot of times... God speaks to you through a dream or a picture or or a feeling. And we go, oh, well, then that must mean this. And instead of taking time to seek out scripture and to go into community. Okay, I have this desire to get married. And Joe Bob just asked me out. So I must, he must be my husband. And God's like, no, 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 no. Who wants to marry a guy named Joe Bob? Please don't send me an email about, if your name is Joe Bob, I love you. It's it's trying to be funny up here. You've got the revelation. Then you've got the interpretation and you're working it out with scripture and wise counsel. But then you've got the application. And in the application is timing. So God put it on your heart to be married, but it doesn't mean tomorrow. God put it on your heart to go into this new job, but it doesn't mean you need to hurt your family to become a workaholic to make it happen. And that's what counting the cost is. How is this going to affect my life? What's it going to take to get from point A to point B? Are you following me? 
This is called guarding your heart. So the second we get something, God has a process. God's often just as interested in the process as the end result. Because in the process, he changes our hearts. He crafts our hearts. Here's what I want to tell you. A lot of you in here, you eject from the journey that God has you on because you're saying it's just too hard. And God won't give me more than I can handle. Right? I hear people say that all the time. God's not going to give me more than I can handle. Here's the deal. You can handle a lot more than you think you can handle. I have found God to be like an Olympic coach. Okay. These athletes that we watched in the Olympics this summer, they would never go that far on their own. Right? We get in there in the swimming pool and then we, oh, and we do our backstroke and then we're like, I'm in the sun a little and have my little drink. Right? But the coach says, no, again, again, go again. Again. And you know, we're, we're puking. And we think that's more than we can handle. He's no, no, it's not. Just drink some good, you know, get some good electrolytes back. And it didn't matter if you just puked. Say la, think about this. You have to go through the puking to get to the victory. All over Twitter right now. puking pastor. Don't call me the puking pastor. <clears throat> Here's what I'm telling you though. We go on our journey, God speaks something and all of a sudden we start going towards it and then it gets really hard. And we're like, certainly if it's God, it's not hard. Right? Tell that to Elijah living in a cave facing 400 people that were trying to kill him. Tell that to David, who was anointed king over here, and then he's running for his life from Saul. How did God train David to be the greatest king in Israel's history? Not in a classroom, just studying, having people fan him. No, he's hunted for 13 years. He's hunted. He's hiding in caves. He's trying to not get killed. And how does... What, what does that do? It makes him learn the countryside of Israel better than any king in history by being hunted. How do you become a good warrior? Be hunted. I'm sure David was saying, but God, your word said you won't give me more than I can handle. He's saying, yeah, you can handle this. You just have to keep a handle on me, David. You get to the point of desperation. That's when you start clinging to God. We think, well, it's more than I can handle. Good. Because you finally get past what you can do and start holding on for what only God can do. I think we're done. Why don't we stand up? Thank you for those three.